From A to Triple Z. You're listening to 4ZZ FM in Brisbane. An original 4ZZ podcast series diving into the station's archives to explore the patchwork past, cultural significance and incredible stories of Brisbane Community Radio 4ZZ. Hi, I'm Alicia McLaren. I produce Staxon on 4ZZ, which airs on Wednesday mornings from 6 till 9. I got my start at the station while I was at uni producing a graveyard show with a new friend who would quickly become one of my best mates. I didn't grow up in Brisbane, so encountering Triple Z meant lifting the lid on this exciting alternative scene that felt so perfect for me but that I wouldn't have known existed otherwise. Um, It was also the first time I'd ever met so many queer and gender diverse people in real life. Seeing them involved in the local community and just being comfortable in their own skin was really affirming to me as a young person. And considering that, I was so delighted to be able to chat to Gay Lemon to mark Zed's 45th anniversary. Gay was a longtime announcer here at the station, starting on the queer radio program back when it was called Gay Waves and leading it through the period of transition that saw the lesbian show introduced, which is now Dykes on Mics. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Beautiful. I'm not usually in this recording studio and I was like, please, please, please don't drop the line. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's so funny because when I worked there, we didn't have anything quite like that. Or, or if you wanted to use some um, recording, it all had to be very much pre-recorded. And Yeah, good luck with that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get into it. Would you mind just like introducing no. yourself for the record? My name's Gay Lemon, and I was on 4ZZZ from 1990 to 2000. Wow. Um, That's, like, so cool. Um, I was, I guess, if we, like, let's start at the beginning. How did you first encounter Triple Z? Oh, my first encounter with Triple Z. What a story. My first encounter with Triple Z, I was actually doing a counselling course with what was then the Homosexual Community Welfare Service, mm-hmm. which later became Gay and Lesbian Welfare Association. Uh, and I was doing my counselling training with some delightful gay men, and one of them, David Miskov, who's still a friend of mine, and I catch up with him when I go down to Sydney, he said to me, look, why don't you come into radio one day? We're doing radio at 4ZZZ and we do the Gay Wave show and there's a mixed show and it would be lovely to have you come in because we don't get many lesbians coming in. (laughs) And so that was my introduction to Gay Waves or the mixed show as it was back then. And what happened was I was the only lesbian amongst a bunch of about eight gay men and I remember really clearly my first experience when David walked out of the room uh, and everything was on air and he said to me oh all you've got to do is just press this button and it will change the record over because back then we had records we weren't using CDs because this was pre-CDs 
and it was hilarious and I remember I was terrified and then when I switched it over because back then when we were using the old slide deck to do the uh, the mixing I must have tapped something incorrectly and the sound I couldn't hear the sound going through the speakers oh, so no. I didn't know whether we were on air or not and I remember saying to David please come and help me I don't know what I've done wrong and I think it went to air <laughs> <laughs> that was my first experience of encountering 4ZZZ it was a hoot I'd never really uh, heard much about it until I did the counselling course because I was one of these kids that grew up very mainstream you know I listened mm-hmm. to all the the usual uh, Josh on radio and um and uh, hadn't really got into the alternate scene. And so Triple Z was a real eye-opener for me. And I remember very clearly when I was working in a factory, putting myself through uni, and I would listen to 4ZZZ at night when I had the opportunity. And the good thing with that was that you could flick it over very quickly if you were listening to The Lesbian Show or Gay Waves or whatever. You could flick it over very quickly to a mainstream station if somebody else came by so you didn't have to worry about them finding out that you were the dreaded homosexuals. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, were you out at the time? I was very lucky. I came out with a bit of a bang. I, I guess having this name helped a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how my parents ever thought I'd grow up to be straight with a name like Gay Lemon. But um, I, um, I was very lucky in that I had a lot of good self-esteem I think around my sexuality particularly my sexual identity and I came out when I was 28 years old I had previously been in a straight relationship for many years uh, with a reasonable amount of success I think trying to be heterosexual but <laughs> I I um, yeah I, I found that I was very easily transitioning into this new identity of being a a lesbian and for me I was very lucky I think Triple Z was a big part of that transition because I started in 1990 and that was I came out in 1988 so by then I'd been fairly involved in a lot of the queer movements in university where I was at at, uh, QUT but also in terms of uh, getting involved with the Gay and Lesbian Counselling Service. Uh, I, by that time, I was actually president of the organisation, which wow, was yeah. crazy. So I was I was definitely out when I was listening, or when I was on Triple Z. But when I was listening, I wasn't completely out at the workplace where I was working. But I think anybody would have guessed if they'd put their mind to it. <laughs> was there a lot of like other media and programming that the local like queer community could access at the time? Queensland Pride was just starting. The magazine was cool. just starting. Uh, we'd already had the first Gay and Lesbian Pride celebrations. But in terms of actual media, it was quite difficult to access anything other than local print media, particularly for people that were living outside of the Brisbane area where they couldn't easily access street press. They might have been able to subscribe 
to Lesbians on the Loose, which was a, a Sydney-based magazine, and so that was fairly um, Sydney-centric. There was also the Lesbian Network magazine, which was specifically for lesbians, had a very strong separatist leaning to it, and it was almost an underground magazine uh, that you know very few people knew about unless you were sort of in the know. Uh, but other than that, there wasn't a lot of media around, particularly when I first started at Triple Z. Later on, Brother Sister magazine came into being and it was a little more infotainment. Queensland Pride maintained much more of a, a newsy mm. approach in the early days. And uh, so Triple Z really for a lot of queers was the only way of getting information. And we used to stay on top of whatever was happening around. We did a lot of networking with community organisations to get their updates about any events or things that they were involved in. And so we were doing uh, a community service, I guess, in lots of regards. We were passing on that news and information as part of our updates and certainly bringing people into the studio for uh, interviews and uh, just trying to expand the awareness about what was available for LGBTIQ plus people at the time. And mm. there wasn't a lot else. I remember a story from a couple of people. Uh, one woman I knew was studying at Gatton at the Ag College out there and she used to travel in a little way towards Ipswich so that she could get the signal for Triple Z on her car radio and she would listen to the three hours of Queer Radio Dykes on Mics and then she would go back out to the Ag College where she was staying. So for a lot of people that were living in quite rural areas or areas where they didn't have access to um, mainstream or the, even the community um, rags, they were able to get information that way. And we, we hear a lot of stories even now. For example, um, there were the, the a number of people that were in prison at the time. They also used to listen very regularly to us and they would send us fan mail and um, and we'd give shout-outs to the guys inside. Uh, and uh, on one occasion, I even went out with uh, Reverend Ivor Holmans, who was with the Metropolitan Community Church. I went out to one of the Brisbane prisons to visit the guys that were listening to us. And, uh, and it was fantastic, you know. So, that, yeah, it was... Um, it was just simple ways of getting information out, but yeah, it was such a vital, vital role that Triple Z, particularly those shows for, for people who are quite marginalised and what they played during a very turbulent political time in Queensland history. How did you actually get started announcing and how did that progress for you? So aside from my first really dodgy attempt <laughs> at that time, that was hilarious. I grew in confidence. I was a, a reasonable public speaker. I'd done a lot of public speaking and um, was often asked to do public speaking to be like Exhibit A, the lesbian, at various events and things like that. So I had a reasonable amount of confidence in public speaking. Plus, I was trained as a teacher, so okay. I was used to having an audience of sorts. Um, and eventually, over time, what happened with what was the mixed show, Gay Waves, and the lesbian show was that uh, we were working at Tawong at this time. So this was after it had been kicked off campus. But we were at Tawong, and slowly what seemed to happen was that there was a, a real attrition of some of the more regulars uh, 
in the uh, gay waves itself and also in the mix show. So it ended up eventually only being myself um, and uh, Jeff Ward, who was uh, doing some of the work with gay waves originally. And Jeff and I ended up being the entire um, programs for oh, probably about 12 months or so. Yeah. And we decided then, because politics in the queer communities was really moving in a much more um, progressive and proactive way. There was Queer Nation, there was lots of outing of famous um, artists and performers and things like this and and the word queer was really gaining some cachet and Jeff and I were both involved politically very active. Uh, I was with the Queensland Association for Gay and Lesbian Rights. I was the lesbian co-chair of that. And um, and Jeff was very involved with ACT UP, the um, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. As activists, we felt it was important to reflect that in the programming. And so what happened was once we had moved to the current location, where Zed is now in the valley, we were the second show, I think, to go on air from the new location. I have photos from that time. It's hilarious. There's wires hanging down everywhere and it's quite crazy. But I remember uh, Jeff and I started thinking, okay, we need to maybe rebadge this and, uh, and, and reflect the activism that is happening around us at the moment. And hence Queer Radio was born. And not long after that, we still had the mixed show, uh, but we decided that because it was essentially just Jeff and I, Jeff and I decided we'd do two weeks of queer radio and then one week of the lesbian show. What happened was slowly we started to recruit a lot of new people coming in to the um, to the studio and some of them are still good friends of mine. Um, Deb Murphy, for example, is still one of my closest friends and Nat, um, oh, heaps of the women that were coming in are still good friends of mine. And it ended up being almost like a little family and so we were notorious for having too many people in the studio. I remember <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't unusual for us to have 15 people in the studio for Queer Radio and certainly probably eight or regulars for, for Dykes on Mics. And the Dykes on Mics name came about when we were... Uh, we'd moved into that format of, um, of having regular women on, on the show and it was really expanding. We were bringing in musicians and they were playing live. And we had some regular fans and one of the women wrote in, I think I still have the letter somewhere at home, and she said, Dear Dykes on Mics. And, um, and I thought, my God, what a great name. And so <laughs> that's what we adopted. So we were the first to use Dykes on Mics. It has been used elsewhere, but we were the first in the country to use it. So very proud of that. Our regular listeners would know what time we were on. We had a particular format that we would run and they knew what time they could tune in for specific things on the show. It was a three-hour format. It was uh, it was a lot of work, but it was a, a labour of love and totally enjoyed it. Fabulous time. So I remember it with great fondness. Back then, there weren't a lot of drug and alcohol-free places where particularly younger queer people could go. And so it was an opportunity whereby people who 
didn't have other places to go, could come, knew that they were completely safe because we were like family. Uh, and um, and we would look after whoever's in, in the studio with us, make sure they were safe, you know. And afterwards we would go out for uh, a coffee, usually down the road at one of the, the cafes in the valley. And that was another opportunity just to be social. So for us, Triple Z wasn't just the on-air time, it was the after-air time as well, before and after. And we would rally together for pride marches and things like that you know under under a queer radio banner and uh yeah it was it was a pretty pretty potent time and i remember speaking to the parent uh, of one of the young women who used to regularly come into the show she was only 14 this young woman and carly's still a friend of mine when she would come in and i remember her mother said to me the day that um carly actually got married she said to me i always knew Carly was safe with you. She said you were like her other mother. And I thought, what a wonderful thing, you know. So for us, that's the, that was the joy of, of, of the shows. I, I'm curious to know, was there ever, like, any critique of the need for queer programming or did you ever, like, kind of get backlash for carving out that time? Never. The one thing I've always loved about Triple Z is that if, if ever there was a station that honoured the different, the marginalised, the disenfranchised, it was for Triple Z. And Queer Radio and Dykes on Mics and the whole concept of having queer content has been integral to Triple Z almost from inception. And not once did we ever feel that the shows themselves weren't worthwhile. There were times when we were challenged by having our time on air whittled back. Uh, we originally started out as a three-hour format weekly and then it went down to two hours and that felt a bit awkward and challenging because we had so much content and two hours was very hard because we became very much a talk-based show. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't unusual for us in a three-hour period to probably only play about eight songs, you know, like, because the rest of it was really about communication. The one piece of pushback we got internally was when we changed the name to Queer Radio from Gay Waves. The jazz show that had always followed the gay programming found it particularly challenging. And at the time, the word queer wasn't broadly accepted. And so there was a bit of a, a pushback with regards to that. Uh, but other than that, we were pretty lucky. Um, yeah, talking about some of the content and the people that you would have in to guest on the show, in your memory, um, do you have any favourite guests or really standout interviews that you guys did? Oh, in terms of queer radio, one of my one of my favourites was um, favourite get regular guests was uh, a, a priest from uh, one of our local communities, and he was oh he was so funny. He was a gay man, but didn't openly identify as such. And I remember Jeff accidentally outed him on radio one day, but I would wonder why a father was uh, actually on air. When uh, in, a, in a gay show when he, <laughs> he wasn't obviously gay. But one of my favourite shows that we did was certainly looking at the breadth of religious and spiritual tradition within the queer communities mm. where we interviewed a range of people from different 
faith traditions and uh, talked about that because that's always been very contentious, you know, whether or not you can be a Christian person and queer. Oh, there were so many others. Um, another funny one we did for the lesbian, uh, with lesbian mothers was um, interviewing the mothers but also interviewing the kids and it was hilarious because I remember the one of the children, uh, a boy named Jono, he... His parents had been very, his two mothers had been very honest about how he'd been conceived and that was using the turkey-based method <laughs> to uh, self-inseminate. And it was funny because um, he was telling us how he got in strife one day for sticking blue tack inside his father. And I'm going, well, what? <laughs> and it was because he'd stuck blue tack inside the turkey baster that was used <laughs> to inseminate his mother. <laughs> That was hilarious. And then the other thing was there was a, a, a young girl, Cassie, and I'm still friends with Cassie and her mum too, which is hilarious. Cassie was only four at the time when we interviewed her on radio and she was talking about how um, how she found out that her parents were lesbians and that was when she'd obviously walked in on them uh, and they were making love. And that was hilarious. And she was also talking about how if she couldn't get what she wanted from her two mums, she'd go to the neighbour who felt sorry for her because she had two mums and the neighbour would give her whatever she wanted. <laughs> and this was the first time that her parents had heard anything about it was when we were interviewing her on air. So it was it was hilarious. So we had, there were some fun ones like that. There were some really wonderful interviews that we did. I'd love to touch more on like you, as you were saying, you and Jeff um, were really involved politically alongside your work at said what were your main activists um i guess priorities when you went through that kind of rebranding of the show well we we'd recently gone through decriminalization of homosexuality so that happened towards the end of um, the 80s. Mm -hmm. And early in the 90s, what we were really looking at, particularly 1991, uh, was looking at anti-discrimination legislation. So Queensland didn't have any anti-discrimination legislation at that point in time. And one of the key uh, things that we were fighting for, obviously, was to ensure that anti-discrimination legislation upheld the additional... Um, protections that weren't offered just through decriminalisation. So it was a very much a big part of it was talking about that. There was a lot of gay hate crimes still occurring in Brisbane around that time as well in the early 90s. I mentioned in another interview recently that one of our young people was assaulted and killed um, one evening after the show, they'd gone, they'd left the show and they'd gone up to a local hotel and um, unfortunately had been assaulted and killed in the car park there. And uh, that was a heck of a shock for all of us. It really reminded us of just how important having good legislation in place, but also how much we had to fight for the right to just simply be because there was so much hatred around still. So very much trying to break down those barriers of stigma and discrimination and creating those safe spaces where we could be, our communities could be without being assaulted. So that was really the prime, um, the prime thing. But also too, I think, for us, our priority was to 
allow our communities to know that they were okay, that they didn't have to make excuses for themselves, that who they were was perfectly fine and that because we as a collective had been so discriminated against and had been treated so appallingly and obviously the more intersectionality that you had, like if you were a black person, if you were transgender or if you were intersex or Asian or whatever, you know, all these additional layers upon layers of of potential issues that people mm. have to confront simply because of other people's prejudices. What we were really trying to do very strongly was to create spaces and places that showed that, yes, these are all important. They shouldn't be the reason for you to be denigrated or made less than. It's, it's vital that you are supported in the wholeness of your wonderful being. One of the things I remember... We got a letter from we Dykes and Mike's got lots of fan mail. Uh, we used to regularly come into the show, and it'd be our, our pigeonhole would be full of letters from from women who listened to the show. And I remember back then, of course, writing letters was or, or phoning was really the only way that people would connect with us. We didn't have email, we didn't have co- computers as such. We, um, you know, so it was very much snail mail. And I remember. We got a letter from a young woman who would regularly write into us, and she was struggling. You could tell that she was struggling, and and she said that really the only reason she was staying alive was to listen to the shows because she felt that that was her lifeline. And I remember one day we got a letter from her, and it was clear that she was not in a good way at all. And in fact, she was. Yeah, we we were extremely worried by the tone of the letter. And I remember we spent a good part of the the show trying to reach out to her and get her to touch base with us and let us know that she was okay. And I know we didn't hear then on the show, uh, so we were left feeling very heart sore and weary because we thought, you know, she'd taken that ultimate leap. Fortunately, not long after, we did get a letter from her saying that you know she'd she'd turned around, she'd you know she'd listened to the show, heard us, and oh look, it was such a relief. But that's the sort of thing that the show did. It provided a lifeline for so many people that that wouldn't otherwise have had access. How did it come to be that you wrapped up your time um, with the program? With the program. Mm-hmm. So in 2000, my mother died, and it was a big time for me. I also had started feeling quite burnt out. Yeah. I was super involved with way too many things, which is my want. <laughs> I was not feeling the same sort of focus that I needed when I was coming into Z. The other thing for me was my mental health was starting to suffer. And certainly the loss of my mother was a a big trigger point for me. And I remember uh, announcing to Deb and Nat, who were two of the announcers at the time, and saying to them, look, my time has come, I need to go. And um, I was really sad. It was one of the biggest decisions I'd made. I loved the show so deeply and it really was like a part of me and still is you know it's 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 still something that I feel incredibly proud of being part of yeah um I think it's interesting 
it's interesting what I was talking when I was talking to Roots, she was kind of saying that um like over the years the way that um like Dykes and Mikes especially has kind of changed is going from um a really activist show and something that was really like politically centered to nowadays she said it's like not not activist but definitely a lot more entertaining broader um and she kind of talked about the early days and the way that the activism of the past because the show and because the community kind of fought for their rights in the past now it's a space that's more entertaining and more of a community gathering than an activist platform. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. Yeah, and I think, and you're right. I mean, I, I think it, we've seen that too in the in the changes within the street media as well. Um, there's not the same focus in street media on on activism as there was in the past. There's still a need for activism around certain issues, the the same-sex marriage debate, for example, classic example, Mm. and and other things that come up now and again. However, the, the era in which we exist now is so very different to what it was. 30, 40 years ago, you know, yeah. like it, 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 we're in a completely different space. 30 years ago, we, we had only just received decriminalisation of gay men. Um, and, uh, anti-discrimination legislation is actually 30 years old this year. So we're looking at very different situations. And I think it's, it's hard for a lot of particularly younger people who, say if you're in your teens now or even your early 20s what we went through in the 90s which was also to at the the peak of the AIDS pandemic which was decimating the the populations but seeing also seeing the rise of like the hospice movement and the home and palliative care movements we started to see the rise in that and a lot of lesbians and uh, bi people were involved in those sorts of things we've seen huge changes since then and I think it's hard for people to recall what it was like back then unless you lived through it and there's still a lot of trauma um, even I remember when lockdown happened last year at the beginning of COVID for a lot of people who were watching the discussions around a virus that was killing people, it triggered a lot of memories from the early days of HIV AIDS because the language was startlingly similar. And equally, a lot of my older gay male friends who lost entire peer groups were saying that it really almost mirrored that time, but they felt stronger because of it, because they'd already lived through one virus, you know. And so nowadays, I think the infotainment component is important as well, because, again, it's still reinforcing queer culture. And this is one of the things that I know I've certainly moved on in terms of when I talk about uh, LGBTIQ plus things now, I talk about us as having, it's more about a cultural understanding. It's not just about the nature of difference. There is a genuine and definitive culture that aligns with those of us, particularly in 
those communities where there's a, a type of language that we use, there's shortcuts in the language that we use, there's um, celebrations that we have that are very, very focused on those on what is more broadly termed as queer culture. And I think it's important to celebrate that and look at what it is that unites us much more than what divides us. Totally. It is lovely when you have just that designated space to feel like you're surrounded by people who have that shared language and those references and that thing that so like, makes you feel special. It's so vital and we need so much more of it. You know, like I, I remember a time when... Brisbane was really far advanced in terms of even like the, the number of venues they had for like women only spaces back in the day um, that were um, you know we have far more lesbian venues than even Sydney and it's a shame in some regards that we've gone down the track now where it, it's it's it seems to be almost too homogenized right across the board I, I love it when we have our own spaces like you know like I think there's a, there's still a place for where all of us regardless of how we identify we sometimes need to be with our own tribe you know mm. and and have those spaces where we can see see ourselves reflected in the people that are around us and I think that's you know like certainly have the collective spaces that they're so important as well have those spaces as well where we can see our own tribe and um yeah I think that's I think that's equally equally valid Oh my! I would. I'm just thinking. I would love there to be a lesbian bar in Brisbane. <laughs> it's wild to me <laughs> oh, that that existed. I've always, I've always said, like, you know, the, the, the best, the best event you can ever attend is the first night of the opening of a new lesbian bar because that's usually the only time you'll get everybody there after <laughs> that sort of talks on its ass. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there's a. There, there, should talk to Ruth about that. We need to get something started. Um, I mean, that's pretty much all that I had. Um. Was there was there anything else that you wanted to add? Any kind of like final reflections on anything I've missed? Oh, I don't think so, darling. I think you sucked me dry. No, it's all good. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you. I, it's, I'm chuffed to have been asked. This podcast was produced across the Turrbal, Yagara, Jagara, and Yugambe people, and we acknowledge that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. This episode was produced by me, Alicia McLaren. I'm a volunteer at 4ZZZ and I host the show Stacks On. You can listen to it online at 4ZZZ.org.au. Executive producers are Max Rowley and Grace Pashley. Sound design and theme production by Lucinda McAfee. This podcast has been produced to tell some of our stories for our 45th birthday. If you like what you hear and want to support the survival of independent media and community radio, you can visit the links in the show notes to make a donation, buy some limited edition merch, or even subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to From A to Triple Z so you get updates every time we release an episode. Indoor plant. You let you go.